Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. My good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy and I get together every Monday evening and discuss one chapter of a book. So as soon as Mike gets on here, we are going to go ahead and get started. All right. We will wait for him to join us. Hey. Hey. hey how's it going? Very good. How about yourself? It was good. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Happy break. How was, how was yes. the break? You know, I actually did uh, a whole lot of relaxing, which is unusual for me. Um, I think I needed the, the break, the time, step away from the computer a little bit, step away oh, from yeah. work. So uh, yeah. it was, it was, um, it was great. How about you? It was great. Got to go home to, uh, to Long Island so my, my oh. parents could, could see the baby and everything. So it, it was nice. It was nice to get away. It was. Uh, yeah, I bet. And, and not, and it's, you know, having that work-life balance is huge. It is. And now that my kids are all grown for the most part, and I find myself pouring, you know, all of my time into my profession now. So I have to remind myself that there is a life outside of work. And so yeah. uh, the, hol the holidays are good at reminding me of that. So it was a great holiday. It, it's really yeah. Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday now as an adult. So it was really nice to get good. away and and it's perfect timing for us to have the break, come back, and start a brand start new book. Start a new book. Well, and Mike, I have to say, you know, I, I agree with you. It's one of my favorite holidays, too, because you get food. You get yep. several days off every year from work, and there's football. So, like, I don't know oh, how you oh. could ask for anything better. So, um, I, and I just have to, I have to let you know I am still number one in my fantasy league. My first year ever playing. I That's am, impressive. I am, uh, what am I? We're in week we're tw nine, nine well. and two. We're in week okay. 12, so nine and two. So then that means I would be 10 and two if we're, if we just finished week 12. Anyways, That's I have impressive. two losses. Yeah. So I'm Is it you and your family? It is. There's, uh, I think there's eight of us. Uh, so it's my husband, my kids, um, my daughter's fiance and a couple of their friends. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So I'm in, I'm, I'm in three different leagues. Okay. I'm in a league. Okay. I'm in a league with all my friends, like my, my real life uh -huh. friends. Uh -huh. Then we're in a league with myself all of the male clinicians at Gronow and our uh -huh. students, our older students. And I also have another league for a school that I work at. I love so it's, it. It's, I it's love a it. great way for the kids to get involved and it's care so about fun. all the games, except for the Eagles games. And <laughs> it was great. It was so cool. So I love it. So the, I so love the, cow, it. the Cowboys lost on, the, on Thanksgiving, which I yep. love. Love yep. when the Cowboys lose. Uh, and it was just, and then the Giants beat the Eagles yesterday. So it was a, it was a great So it weekend. was good. And the Chiefs were off. I'm a Kansas City girl. So the Chiefs were, they were on by. So I didn't have to have too much stress in my life. Uh, I'm yep. also an Iowa Hawkeye fan because I went to the University of Iowa. And we are going to the Big Ten Championship next Saturday. Wow. So it is just, all is good. All is good. So, all right, Mike, we have to talk about our new book. So if you are new to Chapter Chat, every week, Mike and I read one or so chapters of a book that we uh, think very highly of. And that way you guys don't have to worry about reading it. And then what we do is we discuss that chapter. So we are on book number four. We started our book club, I don't even know, over the summer maybe. Uh, so we yeah, read How, right? Ch How Children Succeed, first book, phenomenal. Second book, Finish Lessons 2.0. Third book, Most Likely to Succeed. We just finished that up. Yeah, Mike, I'm excited. One of these shelves, one of these days, is going to be it's all of our chapter chapbooks in yep. order, and it's going to yep. be amazing. Okay, that's, yeah, so that's, that's what I do. I keep the, I stack them up yep. in order on a little yep. file here, and this, it's going to get bigger and bigger. It is. It is. So I am super excited. Mike and I talked a little bit um, via texting today that this is going to be a little bit of a change. If you have yep. been a longtime uh, listener of Chapter Chat, we've really been digging deep into education reform and the cognitive hypothesis. And tonight we are going to start a new book. It is called the Declarative Language Handbook. And if you can see, it's not terribly long. So yep. we are actually reading three chapters. We're discussing three chapters tonight because it was only like 20 pages. It was, it was not a lot. So I really appreciate how easy a read this is. You know, you, it's mm -hmm. not like I, I didn't have to look any words up, you know. I mean, it was very yeah. nice for me to be able to just kind of fly through it. I did a lot of highlighting per usual. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk about this. Mike, tell us a little bit about the author. Yeah, so, so the author is Linda Murphy, who, who we've been chatting with, who I think I saw her name is here. So I think she's is she listening. here? So, oh. Yeah, I think so. So Linda, give us a little, you know, say something in the chat, but let everyone know you're here. Yay! The author. I'm and, so excited. 
it's not only Linda Murphy. It's Linda Murphy, CCCSLP, a fellow SLP. I love, love, love when SLPs get involved in executive functioning like I am. The more, the better. I think it's amazing. Uh, yep. And it's, it's, it's the scope of our practice. And, you know, yeah. uh, a big part of being, being an SLP is that uh, imposter syndrome, where, oh, you don't uh-huh. see, where, where you don't feel like you're, you're good enough to treat a certain thing or do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the more SLPs that get into executive functioning, the better, because it is so connected to language. Uh, and Linda is also an RDI consultant, and she Absolutely. talks about that in the book. Absolutely. So uh, I had somebody message me, Mike, that said Linda was her clinical supervisor in grad school, I think she said. And she said she learned so much and it was just amazing. So Mike has been talking to me about the declarative language handbook since we started chapter chat, maybe even before you, you would always just bring it up like, Oh, I have this good, Oh, the declarative language handbook. Oh, you know, and it would just come up in conversation. So when Mike and I were picking our next chapter chat book, I was like, why don't we just do the book you keep talking about so that I at least, you know, can, can be on the same page. So Mike has read this, uh, and I have not. So it has been really fun for me, uh, to kind of go through this. And I am so excited to share, uh, uh, kind of, I have this, this, kind of epiphany or this kind of parallel language that I use that I'm like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. actually declarative language. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Yeah, this is this ability to use declarative language. So I first found out about Linda and this handbook from my good friend, the ADHD dude, Ryan Wexelblatt, who's, who's, who's been a great friend to me, chat with him all the time. Uh, you can find him on Instagram, at the ADHD dude, great person, uh, incredible videos, incredible resources. He had Linda on for, I think, a Facebook Live a oh. while ago, and I think you can find that their live on YouTube. Uh, and, and I found out about this, and this is, this is incredible. And the more you read about it, like, you know when you're like observing other clinicians and you're working around working with other clinicians especially in early intervention mm-hmm. and you and you just like you're you're drawn to certain therapists you're like that therapist sure. just has it they know yeah. how to get the, the it they, factor. They, yeah they know how to get the kids engaged and motivated uh-huh. and the more i learn about declarative language it's simply because that therapist uses this uses this and instead of saying you know, in use, instead of using directive language that doesn't get the right. child engaged and thinking and get the wheels turning up here, it's all about using declarative language. Because declarative right. language, and she says it perfectly here on uh, page four, towards the bottom, I think most people agree the following areas are difficult for individuals with social learning challenges. And I love that phrase, social learning challenges, because yep. it's very different than uh, you know, these social skills. We always think about right. social skills and the mm-hmm. ability to maintain eye contact and the ability mm-hmm. to have circles of communication. And mm-hmm. really, you know, I think what we're learning is we viewed social skills completely incorrectly for a really, really long time. Yeah. It's really not social pragmatic language. It's social executive functioning. It's right. kids with social learning challenges because they don't learn social skills naturally from just being in a classroom. They need extra They don't learn through osmosis, which is how neurotypical children learn through osmosis, if you will. You put them in a room with other children their age, their peers, and they just sort of imitate and kind of learn those skills naturally. Whereas our kids with social learning challenges, we have to be more explicit in our teaching and we have to use different strategies. And so that's why I think... Um, I'm a parent of an autistic child who has uh, a lot of uh, uh, social learning challenges. And so I uh, have become a different therapist because of my son, because I figured out real quickly using imperative language, using directive language actually pushed him further away. And so for me, this came very naturally uh, to transfer over to speech therapy because I was living it at home and didn't have anybody tell me, but it, it, I certainly didn't want to put a wedge between me and my son. And so for Mm -hmm. me, it was something that developed very naturally. So Mike, don't you love on page four, since you're there, she says in the the second paragraph there, paying attention to our own speaking style can make Mm. the difference between a child shutting down and a child opening themselves up to learning. So that's really what we are going to talk about. And we're going to really dig deep tonight that we are talking about the adults. Now we are talking about whether you're an educator, whether you're an SLP, whether you're a parent, a caregiver, a grandparent, whatever your role is. um, We are talking about 
being aware of how we interact and communicate and talk to children, okay? So it's, it's not about fixing the child, which is often what we do so much in therapy, right? Oh, we have this idea of the fix-it method, right? Oh, we need to fix their social skills, right? We need to teach them eye contact. Chapter three in this book is all about eye contact. I mean, I about, I was like ready to text you a yep. hundred times as I was reading yep. that chapter because I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So I am just tickled that we are finally talking not about what we do to fix the child's deficits. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about adjusting our um, mode of interaction. And so this really puts the onus of responsibility on the communication partner instead of expecting the child to change. And how phenomenal is that, you guys? And do you remember when you introduced that chart, that family chart, where it was basically like, how far are you willing to go to implement something in the home? Remember? Oh, the, the um, change scale. Yeah, the, the scale, scale of one to 10, exactly. the change scale. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And what I love so much about declarative language is anybody can do it. So, so a lot of parents want to decrease screen time, but not uh -huh. every, not, I would say the vast majority of parents are not willing to take away the screens and implement screen time gu guidelines. They uh -huh. see how addicted their child, their children are. They see how much of a fight it would be. And to uh -huh. go through those two, three weeks of fighting to see progress is sometimes not worth it. It's so hard uh -huh. for the parents. But sure. using, the, using declarative language and changing the way you use language to just bring up ideas or bring up different things, this is something that anybody can use. Parents right. can use it. Teachers can use it. SLPs can use it. Uh, and it's a great, it's something I do every day. I was doing it before I even read this book. I just didn't realize it. But it's the language we have to use. Why? Because it triggers nonverbal working memory and the visual imagery system. So what right. Linda says here on page four is individuals with social learning challenges who need declarative language struggle with seeing the big picture, seeing the big picture with visual imagery, which is kind of a lackadaisical way of saying mental spatial time travel, being able mm -hmm. to see the big picture is basically your ability to see yourself in the future and see right. the big picture of what needs to get done. So it's, it's right. visual imagery. It's seeing the laundry already folded, right? Yep. It's seeing the there homework already done. It's seeing, yep. so you have to be able to time travel, right? In your brain and be able to see, forecast, if you will, and picture yourself done and then playing your video game, done and then watching a movie, done and yep. then, right? So for kids so, who yep. don't have that ability, it sure makes doing non-preferred tasks difficult, doesn't it? Exactly. And Sarah Ward, a fellow speech and language pathologist, refers to it as mind miming. So basically Ooh. in your head, you're miming out what you want the future to look like. So okay. if this is what the future looks like, then this is what I have to do. So that's the big picture thinking. Yeah. You know, Mike, it's almost like um, you have to think about the end result and then you have to work backwards from there. That's kind of exactly like we talked about yep. if I so have get, to be, ready to be at done. school at 7.45 a.m., okay, it takes me 10 minutes to, you yep. know, ride my bike there. It takes me 10 minutes to eat breakfast. So you have to go backwards and go, okay, so I need to get up at 6.55 a.m. or I need to be up by 6.40 a.m., whatever it is. So uh, that whole idea of the mental visual imagery and all of that is just it, – it, it's so powerful, and yet it's something we don't really explicitly teach, right? It's exactly. just something we assume that all students uh, uh, do it, have it, uh, and that it's a skill um, that um, everybody just develops naturally. And we know that students with ADHD, we know that autistic students, that, you know, there are going to be students who struggle with uh, uh, this um, social uh, language learning that are going to really benefit from declarative language. So um, what were you going to finish saying? Because I totally interrupted you there. Yeah. So on page four, seeing the big picture, being uh -huh. flexible, oh. managing impulses, self-regulation, mm -hmm. taking the perspective of others, social How important is executive that? functioning, oh. Mm -hmm. Problem solving in real time, a.k.a. mental play, mm -hmm. right? And reading nonverbal communication. For some kids, learning how to connect with others through the sharing of memories, re-imaging the relevant past, sharing right. memories, 
and making plans for the near or near or distant future and expressing expressing emotions. emotions. So and and once again, what are all of those skills? They are executive functioning skills. And Absolutely. the more we use declarative language, the more we are having our kids practice. So yep. remember, so one of the one of the one of the big things I love about declarative language, and she talks about it in here. Is, Mike, I think we need to define declarative language first because we haven't really idea. even done that yet. So um, when we, because for me, I did a post on this um, uh, this morning, so you can certainly go to my page and kind of look a little bit. But declarative language is the opposite of what, Mike? Directive language. Of directive language or imperative language, right? Where yep. you're directing yep. the child, you're telling them what to do, or you're quizzing them. You're constantly asking them questions. Um, so one of the examples Linda gives in this chapter is, you know, they, the parent or the adult gives a direction and the child doesn't respond. And they say, what did I just say to you? Yep. So now the child is like, uh, you know, and so you weren't listening. So then it gets very um, uh, uh, negative right away and it can send the child into fight or flight, right? So as opposed to using this directive or this imperative language, Linda says, hey, why don't we use some declarative language? And so on page six, she says, um, what we're trying to do, okay, is help kids learn and discover what to do versus being told what to do, which we know leads to all kinds of resistance and power struggles. So instead of saying, um, pick up these blocks, this, is, this room is a mess, how could we say that in a declarative way? Ooh, there's blocks all over. I hope someone doesn't trip and fall, right? So it's exactly. this idea of, of simply making a comment, helping the child notice. And man, does she talk a lot. I cannot wait to talk about this. Um, she talks, uh, maybe it's in the next chapter, about visual um, scanning, like this whole idea of being able to take in the environment and get visual information uh, about it. So declarative language is not telling kids what to do. It is commenting it is narrating, it is simply drawing the child's attention to specific things in the environment. And then the goal is using silence, and how hard is that? Pausing, mm. the pregnant pause, if you will, but pausing after you make a declarative statement and giving the child time to process and to take that information in. Yeah, so if you'll notice a lot of declarative language starts with I'm thinking, I'm mm -hmm. feeling. Or I I'm wonder. So, mm -hmm. Or I wonder. So, so mm -hmm. basically using declarative language is externalizing your visual imagery and your self-talk. So, so it's self-talk instead yep. of it being, what do you say, Mike, internal, it's external, right? Ex it's externalizing it, exactly. Yeah. So what declarative language does is it takes away the directive where it's the parent just saying something and there's mm -hmm. a response. So the way she describes it here on page, so imperative language is a question or sentence that demands a response that is correct or incorrect. What page so, are you on, Mike? Uh, page nine. Thank page you. nine. Let's start. Oh, there with it is. There's language. the definitions. Yes, yep. yes, yes. Right there. So it's correct or incorrect. So declarative language right. is making a comment or narrating about what you see in the environment and give the student time to process an answer. Exactly. Yep. So that's this is what someone just said in the comments. So that's exactly what it is. So declarative language is all about taking away the directive where mm -hmm. it's the kid just hearing you and then doing what's told. We want the child to process the information and right. do it and do it independently because we we're going to do a lot of examples yeah. here guys yep. because her examples are phenomenal and it really Correct. is going to hit this home so since most of you probably didn't let us know if you've read the chapter or not if you've read if you're following along with us we always like to know if anyone's reading along with us because there's no pressure to do so that's why this is chapter chat we read for you and discuss that's it right. but the examples i think we need to go through a lot of them are you okay with that mike just i Let's mean I, I feel like on page 9 10 11 she gives so many examples so she talks about um, like you said, uh, you know, when it's a declarative or I mean, when it's imperative, when it's directive, mm -hmm. um, it's right or wrong. Right. But it's also I like the terminology. It's it's black or white. Right. It's it's one or the other. It's either you did it wrong or you did it right. Right. There isn't anything for the child to discover. So some examples of imperative language or directive language. Get in line. Say hi to grandma. Look at me. What did I say? What color is your shirt? So if you go back and look at my post from uh, social media today, this is what I hear all the time. What color is it? 
How many are there? What shape is it? Say dog, say cow, give the bear a drink, put the bear to bed. And so yep. these poor kids are constantly like, <sighs> trying to follow all these directives, being peppered with questions, test-like questions, mind you. How many are yep. there? What shape is it? What does a dog say? Um, you know, what letter is that? What number is that? So there's this constant, and, and it just, it never occurred to me that, oh my gosh, that is directive language. That is imperative language. Um, and so what happens then is kids often sense the pressure. They, they become stressed because, oh, I'm supposed to respond right away. And if I have language impairment, if I'm struggling developing language, I maybe don't have, and if I have on top of that, maybe a speech disorder like apraxia, I can't answer you, right? So now I'm stuck. So what, what does it force kids to do? Well, it forces them to go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And then we end up getting where people, uh, professionals will document and say things like, oh, he's so stubborn, or he's noncompliant, or, yep. oh, he had a rough day in therapy today, or he had a rough mm -hmm. day in the classroom. Lots of behaviors. So now we start hearing about the behaviors because he doesn't listen. He doesn't follow directions, right? So does this sound common? Do you guys hear this? You know, I mean, sometimes we hear it about our own kids, right? Yeah, um, yep. <clears throat> So, and that's exactly what Linda says on page 10. If they don't give you a correct response within a few seconds it is labeled non-compliance and there she says go. what a what a negative word but here's the thing demands can trigger or activate the fight flight or freeze response and this is what happens the lower brain kicks in i don't know if you guys remember um i, I know mike we've talked about maybe doing this book oh it's up there somewhere but it is um the, uh, oh, now I can't think of the name of the book, but he talks about um, the lower brain. So this is your brain and you want your frontal, front, frontal cortex, right, to be in charge. But when you literally flip your lid and start losing it, this becomes your lower brain, the brainstem. You go into that fight or flight response. So you no longer are thinking rationally. Now you are impulsive. You're hitting, you're screaming, you're biting, you're throwing things because you're thinking with your lower brain instead of um, your, your, your higher cortex, your frontal cortex brain. And so it's just so amazing to me that she talks about this. When this happens, the lower brain goes into a defensive state. For kids with social learning challenges, here's what it looks like. Okay, so Mike, I tell you, get in line. Do you see there on page 10? What are your yep. responses? I'll let you read those. What are your responses? For, for which one? Get in line. Yeah. So, the, oh, so, so basically the, the non-compliance responses are yelling, throwing, kicking, yep. hitting, swearing, arguing, protesting, talking <laughs> back, sarcastic comments. This yep. fight or flight response thing is real and it's, i see it's it, very real i see it in teenagers i see it in college-age students and yep. people can say whatever they want to say this fight or flight response thing is getting worse and worse with screens period yep. that yep. that's just the that, that's one of the number one things so a fight or flight response is self-regulation and this yep. fight or flight response thing when screens are not involved and challenges and demands are placed mm -hmm. in front of a child mm -hmm. who does spend a lot of time on screens and do not, who does not have daily varied experiences, this fight or flight response thing is instinctive. It's instant. And it's instant. As, yeah. And when they, when they hear a directive, when, when there's a directive language, yep. you need to go do this. What do they automatically trying, do? So many yeah. of them are not trying to be non-compliant. They're not trying to do the thing. It's just their natural instinct to do the opposite of what they heard. Because That's they are going it, into fight or flight mode. So if yep. at Thanksgiving, you tell your child, say hello to grandma. So what are the flight responses? Crawling under a table, just taking off, bolting, changing the subject. How about saying, no, I don't want to. And then the parent is mortified that their yep. child is hurting grandma's feelings, yep. right? Oh, yep. you need to hug grandma. So now we get into the whole body autonomy thing. Like you should never make a child hug someone, right? If it's not authentic, if they're not doing out of their own free will, it doesn't mean anything anyways. But these are the flight responses of, oh, you're telling me I have to do something? And immediately they go into fight or flight mode, okay? Um, what if someone says, look at me? This is what people, a lot of people for years have tried to do with autistic children. Hey, look at me, eyes on me, look at me, right? So yep. the freeze response is not answering at all, 
shutting their eyes, turning their head away, putting their head down, um, seemingly ignoring the other person. Um, and so what happens is those responses are viewed as not caring or as not acknowledging, not being responsive. So it's really interesting um, how uh, you can see these fight, flight, or freeze uh, responses when a child is given a directive. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what it is, is, is this, this instinctive response, this instinctual response is to not follow through on what they hear. And it's, well, Mike, it's how, often, how well do we like being told what to do? Yeah, I mean, if exactly. your wife were to say, Mike, take out the garbage, you'd probably be like, well, I mean, I will when, like, nobody wants to be, don't you get defensive? I mean, if, if you just start barking oh, orders at people, uh, every one of us gets, no human being likes to be told what to do. This is not exactly. just an issue for children. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so um, it's really important to understand that when we put demands on kids, their response is actually the same response that most adults are going to have. If we were to talk to each other, like we often talk to kids. So on, on page 11 is my favorite definition of okay. declarative language. So she says declare. De yep. Is it the one I have yep. square circled? <laughs> sure is. So, so, uh, so even on the top part, declarative language is a comment or a statement, yep. usually a statement that observes, and it can also narrate an oh. internal event. I love these thoughts, words. Feelings, predictions, opinions, observations, or problem-solving dialogue. Then, then that bottom part, it naturally provides opportunity for social learning across areas of seeing the big big picture, reading nonverbal communication, problem-solving, perspective-taking, and self-advocating. The yep. true skills that make someone most likely to succeed. That's right. I got to tell you the story. So I was asked to go in and do a consultation in a local preschool and I was actually in the pre-K classroom. So these are four and a half and five year olds getting ready to go to kindergarten in the fall. And three boys were putting together one of those big marble runs, you know, with all those extra yeah. pieces, you know, and they have to put it together and they were collaborating, which I love to see. They were working together, but one side of it kept falling over. And so the two boys were trying to hold it up. And this third boy was trying to figure out how to make this one side work. So the the whole thing didn't fall over. They were getting quite frustrated. And I was very proud of the teacher for not just stepping in and like fixing it for them. But what she did, and I don't even think she was aware that she was using declarative language, is she just made a comment and said that it looks like that, that, um, that leg is what she called it. Cause I had like three legs holding all this marble. Together. That leg is shorter than the other two. And that's all she said. And all of a sudden you could see the boys. And so the one boy said, why don't you go over there and get more pieces? We'll hold it. And then we'll make it taller. So she didn't say, get another piece. You need to add another piece. She just said, it looks like it might be a little bit shorter. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what she did. And so they were able to resolve it and fix it. And she didn't even have to really intervene, but just her little comment helped them to visually figure out, oh my gosh, this isn't even, no wonder it keeps falling apart. So that was one example that I just witnessed recently that I'm like, oh, I didn't know at the time that that's what she was doing, right? But it yeah. was declarative language and it's so exciting. So when I, when I think of declarative language, one of the first things that pops into my head is I remember being a student in a classroom with like, you know, 25, 30 kids and the teacher is saying, okay, everyone get ready get ready, it's time for us to, to read together or everyone, everyone mm -hmm. who's ready for class, let's go. Like when class first starts and all the kids are, all the kids are talking, no right. one's paying attention to the teacher. And then teacher's just in the front saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. Then all of a sudden, the, the teacher starts using declarative language and making comments about what he sees. And the teacher goes, oh, I see Sam is ready. I see oh. Jessica is ready. <laughs> I see David's ready and starts commenting on what he's seeing in the environment. Uh -huh. The people who, who are, so he's calling out and observing, externally observing the people that are doing the right thing. And Isn't then everyone something? starts, starts paying attention. Like, oh, I want, I want him to say my name. I want him, yeah. I, I, I need to do the right thing. Cause they right. look over at the student that was just called out and they observe and then right. they make their body look like they're Instead body. of saying, Sam, you're not sitting down, you're not listening, right? Instead of going there, it's pointing out what 
the students are doing that is the desired response. So what I love, Mike, is you kept saying the word see. He, you know, he's seeing. He's he's um, describing what he's seeing. So on yep. page eleven, you just read it. It may uh, the the um, communication partner observes events in the environment. So when we start talking about observing events, we should be using words like. I see, or it looks like, right? So the teacher said, I see so-and-so is in their seat and ready to learn. The teacher, in my example, she said, it looks like that leg is too short, right? So she's yep. observing, or it sounds like um, you guys are getting upset, right? So instead of barking orders at kids, what we need to start doing is being able to use language of observation. So I hear, I hear you, I, I see you, right? Things like that. So if we can start thinking from a sensory standpoint, that's what observing is. And then narrating an internal event. I mean, it's just fabulous. Absolutely so, fabulous. So instead of saying, get in line, it's like instead right. of telling the students to get in line, we can say, I notice it's time for lunch or the kids are getting ready to go into school. So yep. instead of directly saying, get in line, which is going to trigger the fight or flight response uh -huh. because what you said does not trigger nonverbal working memory. You can say, mm, I notice it's time for lunch right now. And, and then, to make it more visual, Mike, you could actually say, oh, it's 1142, right? Because yep. I mean, our kids in school know exactly what time they go to lunch. Like my son yep. can tell you the exact minute that he goes to lunch. So if we were to look, you know, the clock provides a visual, oh, it's, 11:42, and the kids are all going to go oh time for lunch and then yep. boom they're observing and they're doing their thing and they're not in fight or flight mode so yep. it's it's fabulous they, there's another definition she has on page 11 declarative language naturally provides opportunity for social learning across the area of seeing the big picture reading nonverbal communication problem solving perspective taking and self advocating all those executive functions. All skills. those executive function yep. skills. I'm confident that at some point in this book, Linda's going to use the phrase executive <laughs> functioning. It's going to happen. It's, a, it's got a long time coming, but that's that's exactly what it is. So you know, yep. we now know. You know, it's it's unbelievable how ADHD and executive functioning is one of the most misunderstood, you know, yep. uh, disorders or you know. And uh, I'm going to say it right now. Autistic children have yeah. executive dysfunction, oh, okay? and, and yet nobody talks about that. Nobody yep. talks about, everybody wants to talk about, oh, autistic kids have poor eye contact. Now, the, the issue nope. is with executive functioning, right? Yep. And because we don't teach that explicitly, right, we have all these kids who are walking around with not developing those um, prefrontal cortex skills. That, that take years, take two plus decades to fully develop, right? They're not fully developed, those executive for many, functions. For skills. many of those kids, it's the core deficit. You know, yeah. uh, you, know you, you do have some where it is, you know, social learning challenges, which are executive functioning. But it's, you know, joint attention. Joint attention is executive functioning. It's, it's, it's really the ability to be aware of your environment, perceive your environment, perceive the person, and right, right. share, share with somebody else. And right. perspective taking, all of these things. So somebody just asked, what if declarative language doesn't work for the child? Well, so if you say, let's take our, our lunchtime example. Oh, it's 1142 and you have 15 kids all get in line and go, oh, it's lunchtime. And the one kid doesn't then I guess we're going to have to figure out what is that kid doing? I mean, yes. the whole point is, because Mike, you bring this up almost every week, is the goal is independence, right? Yep. So if we, we need to be able to say, does he need a visual schedule then? Does he need more visual cues to know what exactly happens at 1142, right? So maybe we hand him a picture of getting in line. I mean, the point is, if the student doesn't respond to declarative language, then they really are struggling. So we need to be able to provide other types of cues. I mean, exactly. that's what I would say to that, right? Is and, and, they need more support. Yep. And another thing is, you know, parents, uh, rightfully so, do get very frustrated with their child's executive functioning, and they want that quick fix. You know, uh -huh. just about uh, just about on every single intake call I do with families for my practice, it's always okay. How long is this going to take? When am I going to start seeing yep. progress? And right. it's it's you learn as a therapist it's it's unethical to answer that question nope. Nope. For, for many reasons we don't but, have our crystal ball that's what <laughs> exactly it's exactly what yeah. it is and I, and I haven't even met the child yet uh yeah. so but but overall uh when it comes to using declarative language don't expect success overnight keep no. at it keep because externalizing what you have up here 
because here's what Linda says so beautifully. These declarative statements invite, don't direct, they invite, invite. a child yep. to, are you ready for this? And in this media manic world we live in, are you ready for this? They invite a child to look up and observe mm. their surrounding environment. Then mm. once they see the contextual clues that you see, such as a line forming by the door, they see the clock, maybe we have a visual schedule that we're pointing to, you know, something, they can determine what to do next on their own. That's independence. That is the ultimate goal for everything that we do, right, Mike? You have you yes, reiterate right. that all the time that we work for independence. When we simply say, get in line, we rob them of the opportunity to see the big picture, right? That's your that's Mike's that's famous right. visual right. um <laughs> what's your term, Mike? That you uh, uh visual imagery, right? Visual they, visual imagery, yes. yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, non-verbal um, working memory, visual imagery. Yes. Yep. It's all gone and figure out what to do on their, on their own. So say hello to grandma. Instead of doing that, what if we said, oh, look, grandma's here. Yep. Without yep. further instruction. This tips the child off. Hey, something's different in your environment. Just letting you know something has changed in your environment. But now what I'm going to do is give you the space. And how much do I love that word? Give you the space to decide how to respond. And the kid may not respond every time. My 17-year-old autistic son just now responds every time he sees someone or leaves, like greetings and farewells. He never just walks away now, but it took 17 yep. years yep. to master that. So please don't get frustrated when we have third and fourth graders or 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds. I am telling you, this takes time, okay? Absolutely. And, and that sentence, these declarative statements invite a child to look up. Up. That is a yes. powerful, powerful oh, phrase. Inviting so a child powerful. to look up and observe their environment. In a world where kids are literally in their own bubble doing yep. this all day. Staring looking at their screen. At the, looking down at their screen, their Chromebook, mm -hmm. their phone. Teaching them to look up and become aware of their environment. Oh, look, grandma's here. Right. Looking up, oh, and then aware. Oh, someone new came in. All of right. you parents out there have seen your students or have seen your own children get stuck in their own little world. I'm yep. telling you, all the executive function students I work with are in their own little world. That's why they're not following through on basic hygiene, reaching yep. out to friends, using an agenda, following through on long-term tasks, because they're in their own little bubble of the fixed right. mindset. So it's so important for people to look up and become aware of their environment. There's no executive yeah. functioning unless you look up and you perceive your environment. That's right. That's right. So I just, I want to finish this example about, oh, look, grandma's here. This tips, you know, the child off. There's something that's changed. So they say you, you leave space for the child to decide how to respond to the change. Perhaps they say hello. Um, perhaps they do go and give her a hug. Perhaps they wave from where they are playing. Or perhaps they just look up, right, and acknowledge her with eye gaze. Or perhaps they say, hey, grandma. And all of those are fine and acceptable options. The declarative statement has created space, there's that word again, for the child to respond to grandma's arrival in their own unique way and because it is spontaneous and from the heart grandma will appreciate it so much more than being forced okay say hi to grandma look who's here say hi to grandma come on buddy say hi to grandma go give grandma a hug come on hug like there's nothing authentic about that like I wouldn't even if I were the grandma I'd be like just forget the hug like I mean I would rather just sit down and you know, where he's playing and start commenting on what he's doing and let him notice me and observe me. And I've spent my son's entire life trying to get into his world. And I'm telling you, he's a totally different child now because I didn't even know that's what we were doing, but we were using declarative language. And that's why my son has never been in ABA. That's why my son has had mm. very little direct therapy mm. over the years, because it has never felt right to instruct him on how to respond. What I've been trying to do wow. for 17 years is help him see what's happening, to become part, to pull him out of his world and into this world and help him to start observing. I'm not kidding you, Mike. When he was really little and I would point at like a bird in the sky or an airplane and I would say, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. And he would, like he was looking, but, and I would say, buddy, you got to follow the point. And so he would literally do this. I mean, it took it for years. He would literally follow my point. And now, I mean, I can point at things and show him things all over. And he's actually like, 
he's with me. He's with yeah. me. I mean, uh -huh. so and he I learned just, that naturally with you. With, yeah, my son has had so little direct therapy. So little clicker. direct therapy. Yeah. Wow. And I know that's, that seems strange amazing. coming from a pediatric therapist, but I'm really not a big fan of therapy. I mean, for, for me, my biggest role is to coach parents. I want yeah. parents and I want the, to give them the strategies. And it's really about relationship-based learning. And that's why I think I feel so passionate. I, I'm so grateful, Mike, that you introduced me to this book, because for me, everything should be about relationships, um, yep. relationship-based learning. So before we go on, I just have to tell you, I had made a note here. Um, I'm an early intervention provider working with primarily with the birth to three population, primarily coaching parents and caregivers. And as I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh. So this imperative language, this directive language, I have coached parents for years that on, on the difference between business talk and extra talk. And mm. um, this comes from, oh, um, a book written by, oh, here, here it is. I just got to grab it now because I've mentioned it. A chapter chat live first. I literally just fell out of the chair, Mike. That was good. Okay. You good? I'm good. All right. So did y'all catch that? That was really good. Okay. I didn't, so I didn't see anything. 30 million words. And it's by Dr. Dana Suskin. She's a pediatric neurologist. So anyways, I just want you to know where I'm getting this um, language. But business talk is um, the language that everybody has to use if you're interacting with children, because business talk is how we move language forward. So sit down, be quiet, finish your milk, do your homework, um, get in line, you know, clean up your mess, um, keep your hands language. to yourself. Right. Yeah. So it, yes. So business yeah. talk is the language that moves life forward. Okay. But business talk is not how we create a language rich environment. So extra mm. talk is the icing on the cake. So extra talk is where you say to a child, Oh, I love that sparkly butterfly on your shirt or, um, Ooh, that building sure is tall or, Oh my gosh. Um, you know, look at the snow. It's coming down so hard or look at all the leaves falling off the tree. So um, extra talk is what I coach parents to really start using more of because parents will say to me all the time, Miss Carrie, I talk to my toddler all day long and he's still not talking. So when you tell me to talk to him more, it doesn't work. I already talked to him. But the problem is what a lot of parents are using, I now understand is declarative language or yep. what I've called for years and years, business talk, which uh -huh. is directive. Sit down, stop it, be quiet, keep your hands to yourself, finish your milk, be nice. Sit down, stop it, keep your hands to yourself, be nice. Da, 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 da. So the problem is there's so little vocabulary in that. It's highly repetitive. If you're a yep. parent now, like we say the same words every day. And as, as your daughter gets older, you'll find yourself every day trying to manage her behavior, right? Um, yep. Use your yep. indoor voice. Um, no cookies before dinner, like blah, blah, blah. So we have to use business talk as parents, as, uh, you know, caregivers, as people who interact with children to keep life moving forward. But the magic in language development comes from the extra talk. And so now I understand that's the declarative language. And I'm just so tickled to be able to look at, you know, this is what's so amazing about our field and, you know, is that we can use, just like we talk about executive function skills and all these other authors, they hardly ever mentioned executive function skills. Yep. They called them character yep. traits and, you know, non-academic skills. So mm -hmm. it's fine that we have different names for these things. But for me, I had a huge aha moment when I started reading chapter two of this and I went, oh my gosh, this is business talk. This is extra talk. So now I have new language and it's imperative or directive talk versus language versus declarative language. And it's just so eye opening to me. Can you imagine if you were doing a speech and language evaluation and you were doing a language sample and you're using imperative language? Think about that. You're going to diagnose well, every single child with a, with a language disorder. Exactly. You're, you're using language that isn't eliciting language. Uh, and, and what about what our I standardized language tests? There you have it. There you have it. I, <laughs> I mean, they don't, most of them are not good at yeah. um, eliciting spontaneous, you know, yep. it's, and that's why I think I, I've always said as an SLP, 
labeling, which is what really yep. so many standardized language tests get at labeling. We have kids who can label till the cows come home, but they don't have any functional communication skills, you know, but they can label. So they look good on the preschool language scale or the cell for whatever test we're giving. And so I, I now understand why I've always been so frustrated with standardized testing, why I've never felt like it is relevant. And I've said, over and over again, my son would always qualify for speech language therapy. And I mean, always, because if all you do is look at standardized test scores, yep. my son is so low on standardized tests. When you look at his language skills, he is so low. Um, and yet my son has such phenomenal functional communication it. skills. Mm -hmm. So why yep. in the world am I going to put him in therapy um, so that he can work on these isolated skills out of context so that he'll look better on a standardized language test that only looks at imperative language. I'm just, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not interested in it. Right. For me, if it's not functional, um, it, it, it's nothing that I want addressed in therapy or in the classroom. So. Exactly. And the whole point of becoming a speech and language pathologist is so kids can uh, use speech and use language to empower themselves, to access yes. everything the world has, you know, whether it's AAC language, whatever it is, right. a total mm -hmm. communi communicate communication approach. And Linda puts it beautifully here on page 13 in bold, demands make kids feel inadequate. The demands yep. that there's no right or wrong, right? So before when someone said, what if my son doesn't respond to declarative language? Uh -huh. What if it doesn't, what if, what if declarative language doesn't work for my son? But the thing with declarative language is there is no it works or it doesn't work. Right. There's no right. there's no right or wrong answer. That's the beauty of declarative language is you say, yep. you say what's in your head. You make a comment about what you observe. And sometimes all we can ask for is for the child to start thinking about something new. And right. you, know, you don't know what's happening internally in their brains. Uh, like you can say, for example, oh, I see grandma's here. And maybe your maybe your son doesn't go greet grandma or give uh -huh. grandma a hug, but uh -huh. it forces him to look up and create a picture of grandma right. in his head. And maybe you That's... give grandma a hug, or maybe exactly. you then model the behavior and say, "Hey, grandma, I'm so glad you're here today. We've yep. missed you." But you're not going to force the child to go, go hug grandma, go hug grandma. So on page 12, she says, you know, when we quiz, because one of my strategies is that life is not a quiz. So instead of asking what color is it, how many are there, what shape is it? She says, why don't you just go ahead and comment on it? So look at my social media post. Instead of asking, you know, oh, what color is that? Just say, oh, you have the blue ball. Mm -hmm. See, you're not asking them to do anything, right? You're just simply commenting, oh, you have the blue ball. Or, yep. um, oh, you found your teddy bear. Instead of, what is that? Come on, what yep. is that, buddy? Use your words. Use your words. Tell me, mm. what is that? Oh, if I could have a penny for every time someone said, use your words, I would be a millionaire by now. And if and you had a penny for every time it worked, you would have nothing. I would have, I would be in the poorhouse. No. Absolutely. No. There's no way. Yeah. So what we need to do is make sure that we are now, if you're an SLP, if you're an educator, um, is start coaching parents on the difference between imperative language or directive language, whatever term you like there, and declarative language. And this book so beautifully summarizes how to do that. Declarative and, and language. It, yep. oh, so and, good. and in bold here, declarative language empowers them yes. to feel competent understand the world better, develop self-awareness, and self-advocate. Self. That is yep. the whole point of language, period, period. Absolutely. It's not, it's not to use uh, all these vast areas of grammar and morphology and phonology right, we right. learn in school. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot in Most Likely to Succeed, the vocabulary from the SAT, how unuseful it is, and yep. nobody talks like that. No one uses those words. If, if you have a child who's able to use declarative language and mm -hmm. have understand the world, develop self-awareness, and self-advocate, self yep. that's really what's going to help that child be successful. And, and really, I mean, one of our books, How Children Succeed, we've had Most Likely to Succeed. These are two yep. titles of books that we've read. You guys, isn't this what we want? Whether we're parents or whether we're speech language pathologists or whether we're teachers, whatever it is, we want children to be successful. And unfortunately, what has happened in our society is that um, we've decided success equals being smart and that being smart equals getting good grades and being able to rope, memorize and regurgitate information on a test. And what Mike and I have been talking about 
um, every week on Chapter Chat is being successful it does not have is does not mean you have to have good grades. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to have a, a high score on your ACT or your SAT. We want to make sure that we are educating children on the skills that actually matter, so that when they get out of high school, that they have those independent functioning skills so that they can become a functional member of society. It's not about how smart kids are. So on page 13, Mike, I just love this so much. Okay, look at me. When we say this, we're demanding attention, okay? Um, but if we were to say something like, I'm worried you might miss something important if you don't look. So the point is, in that moment, no, you're not, you're not demanding eye contact. You're inviting them to observe because it is important, okay? Inviting now you them. Can't, yes, you can't make them look. The whole point is, and you're not going to have 100% success. Mike already explained earlier that this is a process, right? This isn't something where we're going to, you know, make a declarative statement and the child is going to respond every single time. But what we are looking for is for the child to recognize that, oh, I need to look up from my phone or I need to look up. Something has changed in the environment, okay? I'm worried you might miss something. Okay. So when I'm as a professional speaker, sometimes, um, because I've been doing a lot of webinars because of the pandemic. And so I can't see the people who I'm talking to, right? They're on the other side of a computer screen. So I know that people multitask when they take continuing education webinars. So what I'll do sometimes is I'll say, okay, guys, I'm going to show you um, a slide. And this might be the most important slide that I share with you during this entire training. Okay, so is that gonna get their attention? I mean, if I stop, pause, and say, this next slide is arguably the most important, I'm pretty sure what they're gonna do is go, oh, I might wanna go ahead and pay attention. But what I didn't yep. say is, okay, guys, I want your eyes on me, I want you to vote, you know, that's not, I'm not telling you what to do, I'm just letting you know that I think this information coming up is perhaps the most important. So, yep. you know, if, if, it's, if it's something that you're interested in, please, you know, pay attention. So, um, so when, when, they, when a parent asks, what did I say? And, and, and Linda says, look, we're all guilty of asking this question when we feel like our kids aren't listening. But it's the one that we really need to handle differently. For kids with language difficulties who struggle with auditory memory, comprehension, distractibility, the question, what did I say, can be extremely hard, okay? Um, so if the, if the child can't answer. So here's the better way. What if instead of we say, I'm wondering if you heard what I said, or mm. I'm not sure you heard me, or I want to make sure we're on the same page. It will help me if I know that you heard me. Any of wow. those statements paired with a deliberate and considerate, here's my favorite word, the pause. The pause. Not Gotta repeating pause. yourself over and over, not badgering the child, but yep. saying, I'm wondering if you heard me, and yep. then pausing. Because then the child will be like, okay, um, I, 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 I processed. And they might then look up, right? So now yep. I have your attention. Carrie, I've heard you say if you're washing dishes right now <laughs> while I was washing dishes during one of your webinars. Yeah, so see, thank you, Katie. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I know I also multitask when I watch a webinar. So I know what people are doing. But there are times where I'm like, okay, I there are certain things that we say that are extremely important. And I would love to know. I know when I'm doing in-person presentations is I will even say, okay, guys, if you're on your phone, I'm going to just, just get, cause I understand people have to return emails. Like I get it. Life happens. Right. But I can see you that you're not paying attention to me. So I'm gonna let you know, this thing coming up is going to be important. So we're yeah, going to pause. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. There was one time I was doing a parent training and I was talking about declarative language. And one of the moms raised their hands and they said, okay, so I'm doing this presentation right now. It was at like seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. Uh, so I'm not home right now to pack my son's lunch for tomorrow. Oh. And, I would, and I would love, and he, this is a high schooler, and I would love to stop packing his lunch. I want him to start doing it independently. So oh. she said, I normally would have texted him, hey, pack your lunch for tomorrow. And she would have got home. And of course, he, it wouldn't have gotten done. It wouldn't be packed. So, okay. So she... She texted him. Uh, she raised her hand and said, how can I use declarative language? What's something I could say? So I said, hmm, how about you say to him, I wonder, I'm wondering how you're going to feel at lunch tomorrow. I'm wondering what you're going to do in the cafeteria tomorrow. So she yes. asked that question 
And instead of the child just ignoring the text or just get, uh -huh. or saying yes, no, the kid said, hmm, that's actually a good question. And then the child ended up packing the lunch himself <laughs> for the first time ever. So it was instant success on, on that occasion. Isn't but that it's, something? It's, it's really amazing. And she says it right here. Declarative language creates a situation in which a child can feel empowered. empowered. It's yep. all about empowerment. Every child, even those with the, with the greatest executive dysfunction, even those with the most severe ADHD, every child wants to be independent, period. They want to be able to do things on their own. Yep. There's, there's learned helplessness. There's the fight or flight. Sure. There's all of these learned behaviors that cause them to be dependent, but every child wants to be independent. And when yes. we start to use declarative language and stop barking orders, which is the, we're talking a lot about kids' natural instincts and their fight or flight. But mm -hmm. parents, let's be honest, parents work a lot of jobs, they're stressed, they're dealing with the kids all the time, they're doing a lot for the kids. It's the parent's instinct to use directive language, to bark orders, sure. go clean your room, go get dressed, go do this, be nice to your brother, be nice to your right, sister, and right, bark right. orders at them. And because they're your kid, and because you do so much for them, you basically feel like you should get instant rewards and right. instant respect and instant follow through. But that's not how human beings work. It's simply right. not, especially young kids without a fully developed prefrontal cortex. Right. So, if, right. so that pause that we keep talking about, that pause, it goes so deep. You know, that our ability to pause is literally what separates human beings from animals. Our ability to stop process information and our ability to delay gratification and pause and think about the future and think about what we want ourselves to look in the future all in that pause that pause is so huge it's yeah. literally what allows us to have executive functioning the whole marshmallow test the kids mm -hmm. who paused and thought about it were the ones who were successful the mm -hmm. ones who didn't pause grabbed it and ate it were unsuccessful. That pause is absolutely huge and declarative language plus the wait time yep. will help your child develop these skills. That's right. And so I love to, after they, she talks about the pause on page 14, she says, and guess what? Um, this can result in a response that leads to self-advocacy. So for example, maybe the child who struggles with remembering language will say, so if you use declarative language and say, I'm not sure you heard me, or I want to make sure we're on the same page, you say something like that, and then you pause, the child might respond, I heard you, but I forgot. See, that is actually self-advocacy. Or mm -hmm. the child with comprehension challenges might say, I heard you, but I didn't understand. Um, my son will say that a lot. He, um, my son has stronger expressive language than he does receptive language because my son uses a lot of scripted language, he, um, but he doesn't always understand the, the language that he's even saying. And so he, one of his self-advocacy strategies that he started using in the past year or so is he will actually stop mid-sentence. It might even be a word he said, or it might be a word I said, and he'll say, I didn't understand that. What does that mean? Can you tell me what that means? And it has changed everything. And my husband mm. and I talk about this a lot, that his ability to self-advocate and stop in the middle of a conversation and say, what does that mean? That wow. is huge, you wow. guys. Absolutely phenomenal, okay? Or um, the distracted child might say, I didn't hear you because of the fan. Each of these mm. responses will then in turn lead to a compassionate and helpful response from us. In the process, it does help us understand that child's learning style. It creates a situation in which a child can feel empowered to get the help they need, are you ready for this? Rather than be shamed by their vulnerabilities. I mean, it just gives me goosebumps, okay? Yep. Now, yeah. oh, here, this is great. Oh, my gosh, Mike. So the person who asked, what about when, when declarative language doesn't work? Here it is. In the event that a child does not yet have the language or self-awareness to self-advocate, you can guide this learning based on your own experiences with the child. So you could say, I'm thinking maybe it was hard for you to hear me with the fan going. Or I think you heard me, but maybe you forgot. Or I think there may have been a new word in there that you didn't understand. All of these are so much better than that awful silence you get when you ask the child, what did I say? Yep. And they can't answer, okay? And it all oh. starts with, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. You're externalizing your working memory. I'm thinking this. So what are we trying to do? We're get, trying to get our kids to think. We're trying to get them to think 
visualize and use their internal language. When we tell them what's in our brains, because what is communication? What's the definition of communication? It's putting an idea in my head and putting it into your head and sharing vice versa. it with someone else. And yep. that's exactly what we're doing here is we're triggering right. communication because language plus experience equals learning. There learning. you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, I love it on page 15. She says, um, okay. Um, we want, if we want kids to feel connected and we do, don't we? If you're nope. working with autistic children, if you're working, I mean, I don't care what, who, what kids you're working with. If we want kids to feel connected and develop both social connection and joint attention, we must start with our own communication. We must use a speaking style that fosters this type of communication. Imperative language does not foster social connection or social interaction. Declarative language does. Okay. Exactly. So, oh, this is, this is amazing. And chapter, and, and chapter three, which we're doing as well, uh, moves away from. You know what, Mike? Contact. We're going to save chapter three for next okay. week because it is already okay. eight o'clock. Let's just finish up this little bit. We've got a couple pages it. left here. Um, and that way we can really, because I think eye contact is too important to okay. try to throw in in the last five minutes. Is that cool? That's perfect. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see here. Oh, oh, this is good. What, what is this example? Let's see. I want to end this chapter, she says, with two personal examples of when I've been moved by the power of declarative language. Um, let's see. So, okay, so she was giving an example. She had a little three-year-old girl she was working with, and they had a little doll, and it, they were dressing her. She placed a small cloth around the doll's neck, and Linda said, I made the declarative statement, hmm, I wonder what that could be. In my head, I was thinking it looked like a necktie, and I assumed that Eliza would say that too. But after a short pause called silence awkward silence right mm -hmm. we have to get okay with that um after uh the the short pause somebody's asking for the name of the book mike will you type it in while i'm reading this sure um uh she said uh, but after a short pause while eliza thought about my statement about it being a necktie she responded it's a scarf and you know what it looked like a scarf i was blown away in that moment not by her response but my by my discovery because i left the door open isn't this beautiful? For Eliza to think and respond in her own unique way, which was different from mine, she was able to shine. I responded with genuine delight. It does look like a scarf. I thought it looked like a necktie. As a result of declarative language, we were both provided with an opportunity to learn about perspective because mm. we each viewed the cloth differently. So what it does is helps us understand alternative ways of thinking. That's called mental flexibility, perspective taking, uh, executive function skills. And she said, this moment has always stuck with me because it made me realize that declarative language is that powerful, right? Isn't that Unbelievable, cool? yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, yep. this is a really powerful thing. And, and uh, I think tonight was a good introduction to yep. what uh, declarative language is. Uh, we're going to dive deeper into it as we move along here. But this is something to start to think about. Start to yep. think about, you know, pair, all you parents in chapter chat, think about, you know, are you using imperative language? Are you using yep. directives with your child and not having a lot of success? How can you start to use declarative and don't give up after the first day, second day? Right. You know, keep at it. Keep externalizing about what you're thinking, what you're seeing, what you're feeling. Uh, make, make more comments. It's really about externalizing your self-talk, externalizing your visual imagery. I'm thinking is right. the same thing as saying I'm seeing. I'm seeing this in my brain. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. So the more that we can let our kids know that there's a lot going on up here, yep. they will start having more going on up here themselves. That's right. So we'll end with this nice little uh, kind of quote from Linda on page 17. Consistent use of declarative language creates a communicative landscape that is positive and inviting for kids with social learning challenges. It leaves space for kids to be themselves, feel comfortable, and let their guard down. And isn't that what we want? Instead of sending them into fight or flight mode because we're directing them, we're constantly, you know, uh, uh, telling them what to do, asking them questions that are too hard to answer. Uh, it is powerful. If you're looking for um, something um, visual, if you don't have the book, go and look at my social media post today because I really gave some very specific examples that, uh, you know, you can uh, share with grandma or grandpa or, you know, whoever, um, if you're, if you really want to um, talk about it. This is a, a $9.99 book on 
on Amazon. Yep. It is worth every penny. Uh, and um, so we will uh, hopefully be able to finish this book up before uh, the end of the year, but we also don't want to force it. So we're just, we, we never quite know how far we're going to get, but we try to keep it to an hour. So Mike, next week we'll plan to do chapters three and four. Does that sound good? Sounds like a plan to me. Okay. Very yeah. good. Very good. This was so much fun as always. And we are going to, we've been in contact with the uh, author with Linda Murphy and she has agreed to be on here with us one night. So maybe when we're finished with the book, I don't know, Mike, we'll figure it out, but um, yeah. I think it'll be fun to have her join us. So uh, that yeah, would be very Linda's, exciting. Linda's awesome. And she's really excited to be a part, you know, she's a member of the chapter chat community as well. Uh, so having her here will be huge. Uh, everyone, you know, grab the book. Uh, and, you know, follow along, you know, I yeah. think it's a nice change of pace from the first three books. It is. You know, it you is. know a, a lot of people were saying, uh, you know, how do we start the change? How do mm -hmm. we, how do we, how do we reimagine education and reform education? Mm -hmm. It's it, like we say, it's grassroots. We all it have, is. oh, it there's is. Linda right there. Linda! Yeah, there yes! we go. Awesome. So, 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 so make sure so. you follow LK Murphy. No, wait, it's declarative language. Declarative What's your language. Yeah, yep. you want to follow declarative language. So next week we'll read chapters three and four um, because uh, I think we can get through two. So did you see the number of people? Yeah, we've had a lot more people attending. This is I great. I didn't even this see it. For some, for some reason, the, the comments weren't showing up. And, oh, they weren't showing up on yours? Yeah. yeah, we had a lot of comments. Mike and I will try to go back and, and, and read through them. I try to answer them as they come up, but it's, sometimes it's hard. So, yeah. uh, you guys, this is so much fun. Mike and I look forward to this Love every it. single week. Uh, if you have colleagues or if you want to go back and listen to past episodes, uh, this is available as a podcast. It is on Apple Podcast and on Spotify. And the That's way right. you find it is Education Chapter Chat because there was another chapter chat when we That's created right. this. So anyways, it's education chapter chat. So make sure you share it with your colleagues. Uh, if you prefer the videos, you can go back to my um, videos on my Instagram page, Carrie Ebert seminars, and they, all the videos are there. So if you like to see our, our, our facial expressions and yeah, you know, all yeah, the yeah. visuals, uh, if you're more of a visual learner, you can certainly do that as well. But Mike and I, we both appreciate uh, you guys being here. It means the world to us. And uh, Mike, until next Monday. That's right. Mondays are the best day of the week now. They are. All, all they are. You guys and this chapter chat book club. It's especially the Monday after a long break. Oh, you know, th this, this, and all of you guys made it so much better. Excellent. All right, Mike. Have a wonderful week. Hug that baby for me. Okay? That's right. Sure. All right. See you, see you later. Bye bye.